0: What's up, Chicago? I'm Erin Allen, and this is The Rundown. It was a heated, drawn-out election season and a close race, but finally Chicago has a new mayor. Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson declared victory yesterday in the runoff election against Paul Vallis, and it's giving Harold Washington and Jane Byrne 1983 vibes. This election feels almost as important as that one 40 years ago, and it was just as divisive as well. This runoff also settled some key city council races. We're going to break it all down with Mick Dumkey. He's an investigative editor at Block Club Chicago. Mick, I know you've been around WBEZ a lot, but welcome to the rundown for the first time.
1: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
0: So walk me through what happened yesterday. What are some key highlights that you noticed as you were following things?
1: Well, the main thing, obviously, is that much as in the campaign as a whole. Brandon Johnson picked up momentum as the evening went on Mm. and then ended up uh, winning an election, which was declared relatively early compared to what a lot of us thought. Um, You had the board of elections even warning that it could be a couple of days before mail-in ballots were counted because this was expected to be so close. But it turned out that Brandon Johnson was up by you know, more than 10,000 votes by you know, like 10 o'clock last night. And Paul Vallis came out and conceded, I think, a lot earlier, even than a lot of his supporters not only expected, but a lot of them wanted. There were even some uh, boos at his gathering <laughs> when he came out and said, Uh, For the good of the city, he was going to concede and congratulate Brandon Johnson.
0: Yeah. Now, a few weeks ago, it seemed like Vallis was going to be winning this election. Um, He won 34 percent of voters in the runoff, and he got a lot of major endorsements from some prominent Democrats. What happened to Vallis?
1: Well, yeah, you're right. In the first round, he finished in first place. But there were nine people in the race. So the equation changed very quickly. It certainly looked like his path to victory uh, was broader than Brandon Johnson's. But uh, listen, Aaron, I mean, you and I both saw it over the last five weeks, Vallis kept running into headwinds. You know, people were challenging him about the footsie that he played with Republicans and, and right wingers before he started this mayoral campaign. And I think that really hurt Vallis down the stretch as a lot of people I heard from were very concerned about Vallis sort of being old hat tied to the daily years. And then more recently, you know, some of these dalliances and flirtations he seemed to have with people on the right.
0: We're definitely, we're choosing between two different kinds of Democrats, definitely opposite sides of the spectrum as you said, Johnson, you know, being more progressive, Vallis being more the candidate seen as more conservative. Vallis got a lot of support from all kinds of folks, but mostly machine Democrats from like the Daily era, Rahm Emanuel's era a little bit. Talk about that group and what they were maybe hoping for for this election.
1: I think you're right, Aaron. I mean, that certainly was one of his basis of support was people who I, kept joking, seemed to want to get the band back together. Even at his gathering last night, there were a lot of people from the daily and ROM years there, uh, former Alder people, people who are insiders, charter school operators. I saw a lot of these people in the crowd there. And there was definitely a sense of like, things were better back then. And we need someone we are familiar with, And Paul Vallis with his uh, tough on crime message, that certainly resonated with a lot of people. I think there's also, I mean, listen, Chicago's got a long history of racial politics. We still have uh, a black woman mayor. And there are a lot of people who, even though they didn't say this, I think we're saying, well, we tried that. Let's go back to Mm. something that we find to be safer. But just as many people said they're tired of that. As the old democratic machine has kind of withered You know, Mike Madigan, Ed Burke in legal trouble, and so on. I think that part of that gap has been filled or attempted to be filled by ultra wealthy business leaders in the city, many of whom contributed to Paul Vallis's campaign. And I think a lot of people have had enough of that.
0: Yeah. You know, the candidate that they backed <laughs> didn't didn't quite make it here. How do you think those those business leaders, Centrist Alder people, people who supported Vallis are reacting to these results right now?
1: Well, last night they were freaking out. I mean, <laughs> I uh you know, there was one incumbent elected official who spoke to me, it was off the record, so I'm not gonna provide this person's name, but but came right out and, and used an expletive and said this city is, you know, hosed, but he didn't say hosed um and, and went on to to basically say you know they're taking over by they he means mm. socialists leftists the mm. unions i think a lot of that is pretty melodramatic aaron but it's definitely true that in the mayoral race this is going to be interpreted widely as a victory for progressive unions but every election is both thematic and ideological, but also is about the people. And in this case, in addition to Paul Vallis's problems, let's give Brandon Johnson a lot of credit. I mean, he is a very charismatic person. You know, people knocked him for his association with the Chicago's teachers union in particular. And, you know, are you going to be able to be tough with them and negotiate with them? People knocked him for not paying his water bill on time. You know, he's got his weak spots and had his critics, but I think a lot of people did get excited about him. You saw the, the vote of people um, under 45 went way up, the voter turnout in this, in this uh, stage of the election. So obviously, he generated some excitement, um, interesting coalition. Uh, you talked about 1983 and Harold Washington. And the electoral map looks similar. You know where Brandon Johnson cleaned up in the predominantly black wards, as well as sort of the far north lakefront wards and kind of the a lot of uh, mixed areas that are uh, where there's no clear majority or what we kind of think of, what I think of as kind of hipsterville. He cleaned up in a lot of these these places, and so uh, appears to be building. Uh, a different kind of coalition, at least it did last night. So I think that's all very interesting, exciting going forward.
0: Yeah. Can you talk about the impact that endorsements have had in this race? I'm thinking about the CTU and the police union and yeah, tell me about that.
1: Sure. I'm one of those people, Aaron, who is kind of skeptical about the impact of most endorsements. I In general, I think when an elected official stands next to a candidate and says, I endorse this person, in most cases, I think it is aimed at people like you and me in the media so that the candidate can generate some more headlines and so on. There are some exceptions to it. I think it was very important for Paul Vallis right out of the gate after the first round of voting to get endorsements from. Well-known elected officials from Black and Hispanic communities, in particular, he was having trouble, uh, you know, being seen as more than the white candidate in the first round.
0: Well, he was he was the only white candidate, also, yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. right,
1: exactly. Literally the only white candidate in a in a city where, as we mentioned before, people often vote along racial lines, or there's a history of racial, you know, divide and conquer kind of politics. That was significant in him finishing first, I believe, in the first round. So it was important for him to come out with Jesse White right out of the gate. That was the first endorsement he touted, Jesse White. I don't know if they convinced that many Black voters, but they convinced, I think, a lot of White voters who might be nervous about Paul Vallis. But you asked specifically about the CTU. Now, that's an endorsement that is much more important because they put money behind it. They put people behind it. They have, um, that's still, along with a couple other mm. unions, they still have an operation where they can get out and knock on doors. And a lot of their campaign contributions were in the form of staffing or volunteer yeah. assistance. And so those are endorsements you want because it's more than just like somebody standing next to you giving a speech. It's actual campaign infrastructure, which is very helpful.
0: Yeah, for sure unions like the CTU have gone from outside, kind of outside educator, agitator space to really having a seat at the table in big elections like this. Um, can you, you know, can do you have a sense of how that's evolved over time?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's almost its own story, right? Union involvement yeah. in elections nationally and, and locally in particular. But I can't tell you recent history going back to Richard M. Daly in, in the latter couple terms under under the second mayor Daly, there were um, a bunch of battles over whether to allow Walmart and Target to set up shop in the city of Chicago. That led to the first like large-scale you know, monetary and, and troops on the ground kind of investments from a union, and it was the Service Employees Union, SEIU. They basically declared war on the daily era political machine. But I think that really set the template. And then Rahm Emanuel came in, backed with all kinds of money from, uh, you know, what his critics are called the one percenters. And then he had early on showdowns with the Chicago Teachers Union. So I think the Chicago Teachers Union, they did their own thing, but they also were kind of following this playbook that SEIU had gotten started. You mentioned the police union, the Fraternal Order of Police. They've also gotten involved, but not to the same degree as these progressive unions.
0: This has been a contentious race, and it got real close last night. Real thin margins that Brandon Johnson won by. Um, What is this saying? Just back to the voters conversation. What is this saying about voters, how they feel where they're at in Chicago?
1: Well, I think it goes even beyond Chicago. Chicago is obviously a heavily capital D Democratic, Democratic Party voting city. So what we're seeing is, I think, kind of a snapshot of conversations, debates, fights that are happening within the Democratic Party across the country. You know, are we going left? Do we double down on centrism or, you know, a conservative form of, of capital D Democratic politics? This is not a place that's going to elect a Trump Republican to be its mayor. But, you know, one of the last candidates standing, as we said, was a guy who, while he has been a Democrat for most of his life, you know, was building some alliances with some of those people who do support Trump and that that strain of Republicanism. So I think, Aaron, it, what we're seeing here is this uh, thing that's going on around the country, which is very interesting. I find it personally a little bit troubling where – Everyone feels like they have to be entirely in one camp or in the other. Most people are not full-on progressive or full-on conservative. Most people are somewhere on a spectrum. But that's where the politics are. It seems to be kind of an all-or-nothing thing. Are you with us? Are you against us? Stepping out of my journalism role for a second, I do hope that you know people... We'll be able to work together to take on problems because everyone isn't going to get their way going forward. Right. That's not how politics or governance works.
0: Yeah. Let's let's talk about that. You know, what 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 do you think that Johnson would need to do to prove to that big chunk, 49 percent of voters, roughly, who went for Vallis, that he's you know, he's here for everyone. I mean, he did say last night, you know, he's here for everyone. But, you know, is that something that he really needs to prove? And if so, how would he do that?
1: He did. I thought both of the candidates actually gave pretty good speeches that were very conciliatory, extending olive branches to their opponents. Obviously, Paul Ballas making a decision relatively early. And as we said earlier, than some of his supporters wanted to concede and congratulate um, Brandon Johnson. And then you're right, right? The first part of his speech, Brandon Johnson said, if you didn't vote for me, I want to be your mayor too. I want to work with you, uh, which I thought was very important. So how does he do it? I don't know. I mean, I think um, that's going to depend on the issue. I think we're going to be in an era probably just looking even the city council and its new makeup where he's probably going to, he's going to have some core supporters and he's going to have some core opponents right off the bat. But I think he's going to have to form some coalitions around specific issues. Like they're almost going to be particular to different issues. A lot of people last night at Vallis's gathering where I was, were concerned about Brandon Johnson's policies on taxes and on businesses. They're really worried that he's going to hike up taxes and chase investment, chase business out of the city. So I think he uh, just politically is going to have a little work to do on that. Certainly with his agenda, he's going to need money to invest in the social services, the housing, the crime prevention strategies that people embrace in the campaign. So I think he's going to have to address that, Aaron. He's going to have to come up with, if not compromise, he's going to have to build a coalition and maybe uh, present some things early on that have broad support rather than taking on stuff that is a little bit tougher and a little more controversial to start with. Like he needs to get a couple wins um, with broad support early on before he kind of marches to other stuff.
0: Yeah, it is. That is really interesting, too, of like, you know, you better hurry up and come out swinging. Let's, Let's get into the city council race. You wrote extensively about funding in that race. Can you talk about for city council specifically, how the funding landscape has changed um, over the last few decades?
1: Yeah, I think that first of all, for city council races, as in almost every other level of politics in America, the main thing that has changed is just the amount of money that has been poured into it. There, It is just so expensive to run for office. Even like what we think of as the most local office in Chicago is, you know, to be an alder person. You are dealing with not just, you know, grand themes of how to move the republic forward, but you're dealing with stop signs. You're dealing with nuts and bolts, you know, block level kind of issues you have to take care of. But even these races are determined by hundreds of thousands of dollars, in some cases, even millions of dollars in money from outside the community. And I think that's the thing that has changed even in the time since I've been uh, reporting on this. So the piece I worked on that you mentioned, I tried to really track that, zoom in on a few particular races that I thought were examples of how this is working. And it's some of the same forces we talked about in the mayor's race, Aaron, it's, uh, you know, a lot of union money pouring in for certain candidates. And then on the other Mm -hmm. side, um, a lot of uh, wealthy business leaders putting money in. Um, And these are people who, often don't live in the wards where they're pouring money into uh, the races, but they're trying to either protect incumbents or they're trying to either advance or stop progressives or, or people who identify mm. themselves as socialists. I heard a lot of people talking about how afraid they were that the socialists are going to keep building a block in the city council and, and get more power. So those are some of the conversations that are going on that, that don't have a lot to do with uh, a lot of the nuts and bolts issues that people are concerned about when they vote for alderman or alderwoman.
0: Or alderwoman, yeah. Um. So, you know, for example, Angela Clay um, won against Kim Waltz despite Waltz having funding from outside groups. You know, some of these aldermen, they won despite not having the endorsement. From the prior alderman, despite not having a lot of funding. Can you just talk about that? Like what does it mean in, in, you know, when the voters are voting for folks that we wouldn't necessarily think has the support um that they need in order to get elected?
1: Yeah, you're right. Although I don't think many people won with very little money. Um if okay. they didn't raise it from outside. They gave it to themselves. Oh, <laughs> um, yes, you did talk like, about
0: that. Yeah. yeah the, I, I mean, yeah. It's,
1: it's kind of sad that I think most people, to even run for Alderperson, if you don't have rich friends, if you don't have the support of the unions we were discussing earlier CTU, SCIU on sort of the progressive side, the Fraternal Order of Police, or some business groups then you need to have money yourself to run. It's almost impossible to run a purely grassroots campaign. Um, and be successful. That's just a sad truth of the matter. Um, So most people get the money from someplace. And even candidates who raise a lot of outside money are usually donating something to their own campaigns, even if a few thousand dollars to a few tens of thousands of dollars on up to, there was a candidate in the 43rd 43rd Ward in Lincoln Park near Northside area who gave herself Almost a million dollars seven hundred fifty thousand um, for this campaign she yeah. did not win so money Ooh. itself doesn't guaranteed doesn't guarantee <laughs> a win but uh, you probably can't win without at least some money yeah um so that that's the first thing uh, but you're right in uh, the 46th Ward which is sort of like North Lakeview uptown area uh, was a very interesting race that I thought was kind of a prototype race um Kim walls, who's a former aide to congressman mike quigley has been in politics she was seen as the uh, the centrist democrat in the race by her supporters probably in the national and and let's let's be honest like on the national perspective she would be considered a well left of center you know politician like a, a firmly a democrat but in chicago politics she was considered sort of the centrist and then her opponent, Angela Clay, who was among other th- things a community organizer, was seen as the left candidate backed by the Democratic Socialists. Um, I believe she got CTU money, while Kim Walds got a lot of money from like the uh, Illinois Realtors uh, group. And and then you have this whole factor. We won't get too wonky in this unless you, you're really into it. But there's this whole thing called super PACs. Um, which can raise unlimited amounts of money and spend unlimited amounts of money. They're not supposed to like directly work with the candidates or their campaigns, but they can spend as much money as they want either praising or bashing a candidate. So you saw a lot of that
0: definition. I think it's, I think it's important. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's because people hear the term super PAC. they don't really know what it means. A PAC is a political action committee. Every campaign sets up a political action committee, but a super PAC is this, is a specialized thing where they can just raise and spend gobs of money as long as they're not officially coordinating with the candidates. And so a lot of that super PAC money flowed into that race, either on behalf of or trying to knock down those candidates. Um, And I think more money was spent on behalf of Kim Wallace, but she, you know, ended up end up losing. It was a close race, but it was, you know, it was decisive by the end of the night. So I think you're right. That's a that's a really interesting one. And then what's gonna happen um as Angela Clay goes into the city council? How are the Alder people gonna caucus? Uh, you know, what kind of coalitions are they going to form? I think it's just gonna be a whole new a whole new era and um it's gonna be a kind of a mad scramble for a little while, I
0: think. Yeah. Well, there's also, you know, I know older people right now are are trying to get a little more autonomy um, amongst themselves uh, in the city council as well. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. (laughs) Um, Yesterday, um, just, just zooming out a little bit to this national conversation, Democrats in Wisconsin elected Milwaukee County Judge Janet Protisawitz, Janet Protosewitz to the state's open Supreme Court seat. And that flipped control of the court to liberals for the first time in 15 years. And a lot of people are saying that paired with this election here in Chicago, that victory has big implications nationally, um, including maybe for next next year's presidential election. Um, I'm wondering if you think folks are onto something there with that prediction.
1: There are themes that connect a lot of these elections, but in certain cases, there are issues that are very uh, specific to the voters in that state or that city. Um, They're specific to those candidates. And, you know, in this case, obviously in Chicago, we were talking about, you know, Paul Vallis's problems. I also think that Brand, Brandon Johnson's charisma, you know, his, his warmth, his continued emphasis on like, we want to invest in people. We want to do a different, bring a different kind of politics to city hall. I think that did appeal to a lot of voters here. So I don't know if that's a lesson necessarily that will translate everywhere. I don't know if you're going to get a candidate like that and in Wisconsin, you know, the candidates mattered, uh, the specific issues, concerns about reproductive rights, potentially being decided by this race. I think all that played in there. So some of those are lessons Democrats can take elsewhere. Some of them are probably specific to Wisconsin or the city of Chicago.
0: Wow. Thank you so much, Mick. Mick Dumkey is the investigative editor at Block Club Chicago. Mick, thank you so much for breaking all this down for us.
1: It's been really great talking with you. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: Yeah. Thank you for being here. And that's it for today. Thank you to Justin Bull and Sarah Stark for producing The Rundown and to Ariel Van Clee for editing the show. Sarah was also the engineer for this episode. Our theme music is by Louis Weeks. I'm Erin Allen. Thank you for listening. I will talk to you early tomorrow morning.